Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. Hi, this is your host, Tom Hessen with The Revenue Hustle, and it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Maudie Rollins, the VP of Customer Success, to the podcast. Maudie, welcome to The Revenue Hustle. Thank you so much for having me. I love being here. Yes, I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Sideris um, at, in the, the role of VP of Customer Success. Uh, uh, easy. I love it. I love talking about that day in, day out. So 26-year career in IT, but I always like to say it's a 26-year career in customer success because really that's that's why we're doing this, right? Yeah. I'm at the end of the day. Um, so I 26-year career in IT, 25 of that was actually spent at IBM and very... Wow varying different roles. So a big portion of that um, has been in the cybersecurity space. So I left for a brief period this year to go to a consulting firms to stand up their cybersecurity practice. And I actually just recently joined Sideris. I'm really passionate about customer success and uh, taking everything our customers say and packaging that into requirements that the business uses, whether across sales, marketing services, et cetera. So that's really what I'm uh, have joined Sideris to do. I'm really excited about it, about joining this. Awesome. No, thank you for sharing that. And, and, and 25 years at one company, that's uh, that's a long run. That's fantastic. And so um, I'm sure that I'll come up. We'll have some good stories along the way here. But you know how we do this on the revenue hustle. We have these revenue rules. So go ahead and let her rip. What's your first revenue rule? All right. My first revenue rule that I live, eat, sleep, and breathe by is you have to operationalize the customer voice. Oh, that's awesome. Tell us more about that. Okay. How I think of that is really that's going to be I, when, when you come into a company or when you're starting this and you think about operationalizing the, re, uh, the customer voice, you really have to think about where that's important for your business. For us and how, how I'm implementing that now is really across uh, four and maybe five pillars. So really operationalizing their voice across services, product, sales, marketing. And I even like to take that sliver and uh, talk about HR and people, right? As we think about um, standing up a customer success organization and how do the people service our clients and how, and how do we um, meet their needs? But really, if we just take it from that product layer, um, so operationalizing the customer voice on the product layer is, I think of it as bi-directional. So we are taking the customer's voice across however you ingest the customer voice, whether that is a proactive solicitation, whether it's NPS survey feedback, escalations, or just direct feedback from your customer success team, but really taking all of that voice, um, collecting it and for lack of a better term, turning it into requirements that then you say to your product team, hey, product team, this is what our clients would like to see matured. This is their wish list of what they would like to have built. And so that's taking their voice and actually putting it into action, right? And having them having that materialize in a product uh, features that they want to see and, and or new products that they would like to see come to life. Yeah, and I love the word operationalize the customer voice. Cause I think what the, 
what stands out to me is it's not just, hey, we, you know, our customers' opinions matter. It's, it's hard to operationalize that systematically because, again, if you think about the hundreds or thousands of conversations, emails, you know, text messages that are happening every day with your, your customer success team, maybe customer support, um, maybe with you know, an account manager or salesperson. So how do you operationalize that? Because I think everyone would say, yeah, totally understand the value of our customers, but it's not easy to corral all of that stuff, especially when you think about the different departments, services, product, sales, marketing, like that's all slightly packaged differently, I suspect, for each of those different um, pillars. So just talk about it, like operationalize, like how did you come to that? Like, I suspect there wasn't an operational Present, element right. of it. I think it started with, you know, I think often people will say customer success is fluff or that sounds fluff or fluffy. And I have to immediately go into, well, here's how it's not, right? Here are the actual work streams, which is the foundation of operationalizing something. Here are the work streams that we do, you know, that we actually execute to take that voice. And so, and, and to me, that's how I've proven out. So for me, it sort of started with that trigger of, how do I have the conversation to show that it's actually not fluff, right? Um, so I would say that we do that across people, process, and technology, and really focusing on that technology piece. I think we all live in that era, right? Everything's digital. We want to be able to scroll and see data and facts and, and, and obviously use a lot of that data to be able to gather insights. But you can really only do that if you take that voice and put it into some sort of technology and you can actually harness that data. So for, for me, um, I like to take, if we take across the four ingestion um, app channels that I just talked about, if you use your customer success managers, right, we take their touch points with the client and we ingest them into a technology, whether that be escalation tracking or it be sentiment tracking or even um, meeting tracking. So, and, but that's done at a specific criteria set. So I think you know, to operationalize something, you would say, let's just for ease of our discussion today, we're going to track these 10 criteria, right, for this client. And then all of our interactions will categorize um, it according to these 10 criteria. So then we start to um, collect volume and most importantly, magnitude, right? So quickly, as you start to collect and aggregate that data, you start seeing um, things that bubble up, right? For the clients, you, you start getting like a top three, ah, oh, this is where we have to either go stop the bleeding, or this is where we see that they really, really want a wish list or a new product. So for me, the technology is the biggest piece of that. Now, um, process would be the second, right? Because really you're typically, you'd be orchestrating across many teams, right? You're getting ingestion of client voice across many teams. It's not just your customer success team. It could be across your delivery, your sales. So really making sure that you tee up a process across all of your business functions where you can ingest, you know, th there's a working process where they, they utilize that technology and all of the ingestion actually happens to, and I, I, I don't like to use the word a centralized place, or I like to say more of just a predictive place so that you know, we know, okay, this is where the data is going to live and this is how we're going to use it. And then everyone who's part of that process stream um, knows that, right? So, yeah, so I, yeah, that's great. And, and so the four ingestion points you're talking about. So again, it's the customer's 
or, or you know, your salespeople are talking to customers, marketers are talking to customers, whether that's through web interactions or chatbots or any number of things, right? Um, are you now essentially operationalizing this outside of the CS function? So are, you know, maybe that's the easy place to start because that's where you can control that people process technology. But it sounds like what you're saying is you're doing this almost as a service to the entire organization. Correct. Right? Yes. And I, I think a really good example of where you're saying operationalizing outside my organization, if you could think about all the touch points that you can actually gather from, say, a security operations portal, right, where you can take sentiment ticket ratings on sentiments and you can say hey okay you know if, let's just say you had a rating feature on a, your ticketing platform and, and a you know a customer could say i rate this uh, one one out of five or five out of five this right. ticket interaction with you and then you can take ticket sentimenting sent, ticket sentiment or you can take chat sentiment so all of those you know um those data points that you could capture just from a delivery or a support organization that we can then um, aggregate and pull into that, that would be a perfect example of where you say, okay, we're gonna capture across our entire customer journey, wherever we are touching our clients, like how do we capture that sentiment and pull it into, um, you know, our, our data source. Well, yeah, and it makes complete sense. I'm, I am surprised or I'm curious to know how can you get those other functions on board, right? Like, are you having like a mandate from, let's say, let's say, let's call it maybe a chief revenue officer that has marketing sales and CS. So that may at least can drive alignment across the, the customer journey. Or have you ever found any pushback to say, you know, why are you t talking to my salespeople you know, or, or whatever it may be, just organizationally, because it, it it's it's coming out of the customer success. And this is just more of a, you know, corporate dynamics, yeah. things that you may or may not have ever encountered as a result of. No, I've seen it, you know, I've worked in a lot of different organizations. So even though I did spend 25 years at one company, I felt like each of the business units that I worked in did have its own ecosystem or a culture, if you will. So I would say to your point, customer success has to be a foundational value of the company that you work in, right? And if it's not, I think you're always going to come up against that resistance because if we think about the sales function, I mean, it's very revenue focused, right? And you kind of like, and then if you think about even delivery, right? They're very, um, you know, execute right. focused. And so um, if it's not a part of the culture, then I think customer success could be seen as a, as a road bump, if you will or a speed bump in, into them getting their getting their goals. So I, I really do think, and that's why I was really excited to come on to a company that where the CEO did value customer success at its core and realize that it does need to be um, part of what I like to call the fabric of how we operate. So at Sideris, our, our, um, our uh, motto is, Secure, you know, security, it's what we do. And then, um, but I, so I kind of have modeled that by that from the customer success perspective of, um, well, our customers at the are at the heart of what we do, right? And so that should be um, motivated across all of our pillars. But I do agree with you. It's a, it's a cultural, um, it has to be woven into the culture. And if not, you're definitely going to come right into some against roadblocks. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're keeping me from this renewal or you're slowing down the process or me um, in just giving you that data point, right. Slows me down from that. So yeah, I've definitely come up against that. And it's much more helpful if you have leadership at the top line, right. bottom, 
to the value. So talk, talk a little bit about like the, when you have this data, like some of the decisions or things you've seen or some stories just as a res- result of having, the, you know, you get the people processes and technology in place to ingest it, right? How do you then th- make decisions using that? What are some of the things that you are, you know, packaging up for sales? You kind of mentioned like roadmap for features and functions for product. Um, like how do you then take because there's a lot of good data being collected that just sits there and collects dust, right? So how do you then inject it into people's, you know, that they see it and can act on it? I think uh, a couple great use cases that I've seen across at least three different organizations where I've um, been the leader for this function would be if you think of business intelligence or analytics reporting, like for lack of a better, for an easy term, just reporting. Um, Very often, I think on, we, we would decide as a client, you know, you're like, if you're on that analytics or business reporting team, you go, this is what they want to see. This is what they want to see. And we're building these dashboards and this is, and, um, and so they have prescriptively these reporting and business intelligence and analytics teams have a roadmap of these are the views and the reporting that we're going to be building. And, um, where I've seen where I've come in and we, you know, take this uh, discovery time, I always take at least like six to eight weeks to go literally just full court press, have a bunch of client meetings where we say, what do you want to see? What metrics are valuable to you? There has always, always, and in, in, in all three of those that I've executed in those organizations, there's always been at least a 50, 50 discrepancy, right? Where we were able to take what was in our roadmap and say, half of that doesn't matter to our clients. So if, if we think about that, if they would have just executed those um, uh, reporting or intelligence roadmaps, according to what we thought the client wanted to see, the client at the end would have thought 50% of that is not valuable. Right. And so now what those, those teams are working on is 100% valuable to our clients. And so I think that's a beautiful use case of where you say, oh, wow, the operationalization of that has an, an amazing outcome. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that, that's a great example because I, you know, product, again, in big organizations, there's a lot of silos and not everyone gets to talk to the customer, right? So there's a lot of projections as to what the customer is, what, how they think, what they care about. Um, and, and that's why, you know, customer success is so valuable because you're the actual interface, right? With the live humans that we call customers. And so being able to, um, and you hear, you know, we're kind of in a space where we're, you know, collecting a lot of data from people and in, in, in terms of like these sales assessment tools and platforms that we're building. Uh, there's a lot of anecdotal data that gets to executives, right? That, that they say like, oh, you know, one senior person tells another senior person this one story and all of a sudden that becomes the, you know, the theme for every story that they tell, right? I mean, have you seen that sort of stuff where, it's maybe well-intentioned, but it may not be accurate because like, again, if it's not operationalized, you're not seeing it over and over and over again, or, you know, you don't have a lot of data to back up that one story. Right. So like, what's the opposite side of, of, you know, the whisper, you know, the, the grapevine sort of stories that we hear that make their way back through the organization. Well, it's interesting, right? So to, to one of those points that you just said, um, I think our function to your point of, a lot of a lot of our teams don't have that interaction with the clients, and while sales do, um, I think it can. I've heard a lot of um, 
discussions about whether customer success lives in delivery and lives in sales. And for me, I like it to be independent because I think we, while sales is very client facing, we can actually um, increase, you know, their velocity to, to revenue, especially if we operationalize that voice. What I, what I like to say is, you know, we, we deliver you uh, a customer view package, right. Where you can be, you know, you can have just almost like a digest, if you will, walking into that client, let's say Acme X, where you say, hey, here's every touch point you had with that client. Here's their red, yellow, green. Here's some of their pain points. Here's what their service looks like, all of that. So we can actually increase the velocity and for me, make it um, make it easy, easier for each of those functions to execute because we are packaging that customer voice so neatly for them. But I, I think I kind of, I went on a tangent to answer your question. If did I, or do you want no, to you're good. again? I kind of- Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think what's also interesting is um, the process by which you implement this, right? So you've done this several times, right? You've kind of got your own playbook, right? You said technology is the biggest part maybe and then you said process and then people what are some things that you would advise others that would want to operationalize customer voice you know when they think about okay how do i handle the tech stack how do i implement a process and get people to buy in or just what are some of the things that you've you would coach others when they think about this um, one of the biggest hurdles to operationalizing that I've seen is that, you know, I enter every organization um, having to live with the technology decisions that that organization has made, and then you're either and re-architect for the future. Uh, and I think, you know, my motto there is to really start with a little bit of tech rationalization, right? Look at what the strategic tools are. And if there are none, let's have a broader conversation with the, you know, the leaders in the org that says, okay, what are our strategic tools? And then let's build on those. And so that as you're creating data sets, a really good example, obviously Salesforce is, is very used by sales. So that's a nice jumping point, right? So if you have Salesforce, you know, if you make a decision that says, okay, you know, Salesforce is going to be our center of gravity and everything that we build will integrate off that. But really thinking about um, a strong uh, technology strategy and then rationalize it down so that you're not having um, your CS organization have to you know, connect to a different tool from your marketing, from the sales, et cetera. It just makes it very difficult to stitch those, the threads that we talked about. Um, so that would be my biggest uh, kind of mine of like landmine that I would advise I others to, to, to start with first, because if you can't, if you can't set on strategic tools and then kind of architect, you know, for that tool, for instance, you wouldn't want to, you know, have workflows and all of this built in Salesforce, if you're going to strategically migrate to another tool, it just causes a lot of rework and you're not going to realize yeah, that value. Yeah. So. And, and what are some of those core systems? So it, it, obviously your CRM, you mentioned, there's mm -hmm. now customer success platforms like Gainsight. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, so where do you tend to see, you know, now there's like software that records every call, you know, like, so how do you, you know, it may look different from organization to organization, but like, what are, what are some of the core pieces of tech that enabled us? Yeah, I think it's, it, it really kind of depends on the maturity and, and the size of your organization, right? And some of these technologies that we're talking about are very expensive. And I think you only need to, you know, you only need to reach that 
clip clip level when you're of a certain size, et cetera. Right. So I think it's right fit technology too, but um, CRM for sure. And I think it has to, I like to look at everything from the customer journey perspective. So make sure that we're having, um, you know, that, that those technology decisions stitch all the way from a lead generation, all the way from renewal and expansion. And then I think often overlooked is that communication of value piece. Like how are we automating those touch points? How are we um, making sure that the value that we're that we're providing as a company is actually getting communicated out and making sure those. So, um, so yes, CRM, but I, I've seen sometimes the, the marketing piece of that isn't very well integrated. Right. The sales and the delivery tends to be more integrated and then that marketing kind of falls out. Um, so really I think it's orchestration, right? And, and making sure, like, let's look at all the functions that need to come together for this picture. Right make sure that our technology stitches those together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a project in and of itself, right? I know. Just to... <laughs> it's a full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. No, I'm sure. Um, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, great. Well, that is, I mean, that is something we could talk a lot about because I, I just know customer voice grounds everything, right? A lot of decisions come back to like, what do our customers want? What do they think? Um, you know, everything kind of should be centered around what's best for our customers. And that's oftentimes hard to answer, right? For a lot of different firms and and, and functions inside of them that are all um, plotting the next campaign to the next sales playbook to the, um, you know, the QBRs that you're probably doing in customer success. Um, and there's just yeah. a lot of, a lot of different things that tap into that insight. So that's a great one. We have not talked about that. So I was really excited to hear more about that. So let's transition. What is your second revenue rule? My second revenue rule that I live by is that renewals is a long game. Tell me more. Okay. Uh, I think often, you know, what I've seen in my, you know, 26 year career is that we say, oh, renewals up in 30 days. Let's go uh, touch this client. And very often, um, you know, there's a, a lack of really looking, hey, if this has been a three-year contract, two-year contract, one, even a one-year contract, um, not keeping a pulse on that value creates a really tough conversation with the client if we don't care and feed that relationship. And so for, for me, I like to, to think of, you know, a re renewal, the, the chance of that renewal happens from the day the contract signs every single day of delivery. So renewals is not just, you know, getting that renewal revenue is not just a sales game, right? It really heavily relies on everything that happens in between, which is, you know, delivery. Yeah. And then of course that, that the touch from CS, if you do have CS customer success. And, and I mean, I, you know, in a SaaS company myself, I mean, obviously we'd never want to put too much emphasis or, or, you know, hero work at the time of renewal, right? Now, every customer situations can be different. And sometimes, you know, there's things that happen inside of customers that you can't control, like your sponsor leaves the company and now the new sponsor cares about other things, right? Just whatever that may be. But outside of those situations, like why is this hard, right? Why, why is this not just second nature for every company to be like, we need to, you know, be on top of this every single day to make sure they're getting value. Because 
it's obvious, but it's hard. And I, I'm just kind of curious because I don't run CS and I'm curious just from your perspective, why, why that may be. From what I've seen, uh, really it's, there's a lack of focus on mapping out the entire customer journey. So, uh, you know, we're, I, I think one of the biggest conversations that we talk about just collectively in LinkedIn and in this, in the business space is operating in silos. And that's, I think, exactly at the heart of this problem, right? Is every, this, the business analytics team does this, right? And the, the delivery team does that. And everybody's just, um, um, you know, in charge of executing like their own silo. And then no one's really mapping that entire customer journey. And really, I think um, I like to call them moments that matter and really saying, okay, across this journey, like, let's not be nuts. Like, we know we can't touch them every minute of every day. Right. But like, what are those moments in their journey with us that actually matter? And those are different for every single company, right? So the moments that matter for, um, you know, Amazon, it's not the same moment that matters for an Apple customer. But so I think that's what's missing from where I've seen uh, from, and there have not been a lot of, I, I, there's not been a lot that I've seen that, where that is looked at collectively. Right. And when you define those moments that matter, really expanding that out and say, okay, this is a moment that matters for our client. And how are we going to make that experience magical and, and really just sleek yeah. and perfect. And, and I, I don't see that that's done at a really um, uh, wide level. Yeah. Cause I think it's an interesting point because who owns the customer journey, right? And that's your point before, like delivery owns a piece, sales owns a piece, you know, customer success owns a piece, you know, and, but no, who, who owns the entire thing to ensure that, right. And it just, you know, it's, it's the way we, we organize, but it's, it's um you know, and I think what's just, apparent in the 30 minutes we've spoken, like you have no problem taking the customer's perspective and sharing that across your other functions, right? Your peers, right? It's not, you're not just inside of customer success. Like this is what the customer wants and needs. So don't tell me about sales can, can't do this or can do that. Like you're just, you're championing that across the entire organization and both revenue rules that you've talked about. Yeah. And I think to give a really good example if we think about customer customer enablement after they get onboarded, so let's say we even take an iPhone. You bought an iPhone. Um, if if it's somebody that doesn't even know how to use an iPhone, how are we teaching them that enablement piece? And is that the execution of doing that enablement? Is that actually a customer func success function? No, right? Like that's a learning and development, or maybe even a delivery um, function for them to create that. But really having the, the buck stop with me who owns the customer journey and calling out like, hey, this is an actual moment that matters for this Apple iPhone client. We need them to enable to use this technology or enable them to use that portal or, or all of those. Um, but having that, that owner for that customer journey and realizing that renew like that, you know, next sale of that iPhone, which I'm going to call as, as the renewal, um, it is part of the, that long game, making sure that that moment that matters um, is excellent. Um, having somebody re responsible to at least say, hey, this is something that your team needs to work on. I, you know, I think we don't have to break up the silos, but if we can put that layer on top that says, hey, silo, I need you to work on, you know, the enablement, a piece of this, you know, technology that they just bought. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're, um, it, 
increasing the chance of success that you're yes. going to sale, right? And it seems like you've taken that upon yourself to kind of connect that through the lens of the customer journey. Like, so you're yeah. like, hey, you know, Silo, I need your help here, and Silo here, I need your help, and and so even though you're working with your other functions, right? The other, um, but you're kind of taking a leading role. And is that just something that you care about, or do you think as a as a the role of the customer success, that's just part of the that's just well, part of the mission, or but maybe both. First, it's part of my first rule. So what I just said to you about that that one little pain point of the client, right, where they don't know how to use that technology that just they bought. That's a voice, right? And I say, okay, that is a product. Like that is a product issue, or mm. you could even say it's service. It depends on your company. Let's just say it's a product issue. So then you say, as part of the requirements package that we're as part of that operationalization layer, I right? See. Where we say, okay, voice, we heard that. That now becomes part of the requirement as part of whatever technology. Hey, by the way, we're hearing 300 clients said that they don't know how to use these phones. So this now becomes magnitude, now becomes you know, first order of business for us to solve in this moment, you know. I see. So your, your, your unifying function really is that customer voice, right? So like you can now go and you're not just saying, hey, I think this is a great idea. You're, you're saying we have data around the customer's voice or needs that we've packaged up in these ways. And therefore I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need your help here, right? It's because it's all based on the data and it's, it's all coming straight from the customer. Is that a fair representation? It's just not you walking and knocking on doors and completely fair. And I think what it's an important call out here too, is that I'm not, while I do think it's foundational and critical that the customer voice motivate everything that, I, that we do. Um, I don't want to do that. At, at, I'm not saying that that is our innovation engine, right? I think there's extreme value in having, you know, a CTO and that innovation engine. But what I think is the valuable piece is that is doing that Delta comparison or that match like, Hey, is this thing that we're creating, are we way off base? Are we oriented? Right. Will they find value? Has this, um, a, a big question that I always ask my clients is what's on your wish list. And to me, it's, you know, if, as, as we start to kind of compare what we're building, we have a good, you know, we're, we're always orienting to the client voice. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's yeah, because you're right. Because you know, if you ask customers what they want, they would say they want, you know, well, what's the famous saying? Like they they wouldn't ask for a um, an automobile; they would ask for like more horses, right, to pull yeah. their buggy, right. Sure. So it's like you kind of have to. It's it's it it goes both ways because you you have to take what the customer's saying, but sometimes you have to translate that into what are they really saying, or right. what is the real problem behind the thing that they're asking for. Right. Um, no, no, that's great. So, um, no, this is great. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, I've talked to a lot of CS executives and I think, you know, the way that you champion the voice to drive alignment is, is really unique. Um, and, and using obviously data, it's not just, Hey, this is a good idea for Madi. This is, this is coming straight from our customers. Right. And it's harder, I suspect to, um, you know, everyone's got priorities, but you know, you've got to get it on someone's radar, right? If, if it's, uh, like you said, the magnitude and the volume of the problem and, and the, the revenue impact and all that kind of stuff. So it should make decision-making easier across the organization once that's, you've kind of got that alignment. That's what you said is just completely key. I say that to every new organization that I come in as leaders, because I think I, you just said that, you know, we could kind of be seen as a roadblock. And I really do say, I am here 
to make your decision process it so easy. So you can say, oh, a client doesn't care about that. Great, <laughs> move it off. Everybody has too much on their plate, right? So how, I said, I'm here to uh, let you know what you can move off, right? Uh, that's great. So how did you get into customer success? Gosh, I mean, I think just naturally, if you look at my personality, I'm, I'm just a, a human centric person. Right. So even as I think about um, what, what makes me tick as a leader and as I've grown my career for me, it's about um, uh, changing, touching lives, affording other opportunities. So I, I just am a very human centric person. And um, I always say this to my team, like if I have a customer that's unhappy, I actually take it personally, like I can't sleep at night. And um, so as I've start, you know gone through my technical career and, you know, um, you know, I've been a lot of different functions, project manager, you know, I was, I led uh, SSR teams that did, um, you know, like mainframe uh, maintenance and data centers, but really, you know, no matter what I was delivering uh, for me, I always just gravitated to like, what is just going to make you so happy? What's just going to make you tick? But I do that in the way I in personally just give gifts or like, <laughs> The things that make me happy yeah, are just right. like those huge reactions from people. So I think um, I, I, I just think me, Madi, as a person was just I, Naturally. I oriented that way. Um, but I really, uh, too, am a, a fixer, right? So if there are, um, while I love hearing glowing feedback from clients, if when I hear pain points, I just naturally a, a solution or, and I love um, bringing together the best and the brightest to say, okay, how do we fix that for them? So any, right. any, in, in any of my, um, in, in my roles, I've just naturally gravid, gravitated to um, how do we delight this person um, like that. through, through uh, either our solutions, technologies, et cetera. So that's, I, that's how I, that's how I landed here. Awesome. No, that's great. So where can we follow you online? You can follow me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am just on LinkedIn all the time. Right. So I think LinkedIn is the best place. Uh, that would be the, I, I don't really keep a Twitter or, or an Instagram or anything like that. So LinkedIn is really the best place. I, I try to post there daily. I check it all the time and I would love to, uh, interact. I love to get in these kind of discussions and, awesome. um, yeah, so LinkedIn's the best place. Fantastic. Well, Maudie, thank you for coming on to the Revenue Household. This was a great uh, conversation and uh, let's do it again soon. We will. Great. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take everyone. care. Thank you for tuning in to the Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses. Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at ninelenses.com. See you next time.